Hi, I'm Steve Joel. Thanks for listening. This is 40K Game Changers, a podcast series in which we get to know the people who have changed the way we play or paint or take in Warhammer 40,000. You're in Washington, right? Yeah. I always say Seattle to people because, you know, nobody knows where anything else is. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Which is probably a bigger issue where you live. First up, an apology. What with a little bit of not being well and having a crazy schedule at the end of last year, I haven't actually been very good at bringing you episodes of this podcast. But it's 2022 and we're back and set to bring some very cool content in, I guess, what is going to be part two of season two, starting right now. Uh, I'm going to get started if that's okay. Here we go. Well, just one warning. Sorry. In, In roughly 30 minutes... My wife will come home and the dogs will literally lose their minds. <laughs> okay. I'll make... And I'll and I will have to get up and give the, her, the dogs to her and close the door to my office, which sure. is open right now because the dogs are home. Okay. So today's guest is big in the Washington 40k scene. He runs charity events, he does content creation, he wins tournaments, and he still gets that this hobby is supposed to be fun. I have played at the top table of a major trying to win the event, and I still made engine noises when I was moving my plates around. Before we get going, please go like the 40K Game Changers page on Facebook for updates on future guests, also to make suggestions, ask questions, all of that. And I want to say thanks also to Frontline Gaming. The Frontline Gaming Network hosts this podcast, and they've been very patient with me over the last couple of months. So, Reese. Val, you guys rock. Now, on with the show. My guest today is probably best known as the host of the Best in Faction podcast, along with Mitch Pelham. Also for his work bringing some of the biggest names in American 40K together for his annual Charity Hammer event. He counts some of the best players in the world as good friends, and actually, the man can play a game of 40K himself. He's won a bunch of events with armies like Yanari and Tyranids and Necrons, and he might even be warming to Space Marines. Colin Sherman, thanks for joining us on the show. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. I, I do want to say I have two co-hosts, and the other one's Chuck Arnett. I don't want him to be. I don't want him to be left out. You're right. Uh, I was going to bring up Chuck and Mitch together later on. I don't know why I left Chuck out of the intro, uh, but Mitch is the one for some reason. When I listen to the show, it's you and Mitch that I hear most often, and Chuck sometimes. Okay. But well, Fair we enough. Can, we can get to that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing I know about you is that you once had a few drinks and then went to see Penn and Teller, and then you got a photo taken with either Penn or Teller. I don't know which one's which. But that, that, that seemed like a good night. <laughs> yeah, I was actually in, I had two business trips that were back to back with uh, two days in between them. And it was one of those things where I would have spent the whole two days flying home and flying back out again. Uh, and so some friends and I just decided we'd spend Cinco de Mayo in Vegas. And so we went to, we basically flew to Vegas, hung out there and then flew somewhere else for work the next week. And yeah, I did go to Penn and Teller. I don't know where you found this picture or why you know about this, <laughs> but it is it's only amusing in that um Penn Penn is a huge man. Right. And Teller is actually a normal sized human being. But because everyone sees them on stage, they think that Teller's tiny. He's not. Um and I am roughly the same size as Penn. <laughs> so the picture wow. of me and Penn together is an amusing picture. I don't know how that came up for you, but yeah, it, yeah. It was, it's a, it's an amusing photo. I, I, I pride myself on thorough research, my friend, so uh, I've spent some time. I spend some time getting ready for every episode. 
Um, and so we won't even go into the crazy dates you've had over the years. That's probably for a different podcast at a different yeah, time. Yeah, that's not for this podcast. <laughs> so how did you get into 40K? Let's start with that. How did you get into this game? Well, about 17 years ago. Is that the math? No, 27 years ago. How old am I? Yeah, 27 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, what's, a, what's a couple decades between friends? Sure. I have to do the uh, same thing. I always get surprised by how long ago things were. Yeah, exactly. The 80s were, I think the 80s was 20 years ago, right? That's how, <laughs> yeah, that's how things work. Yeah, yeah. So when I was a teen, um, I hung out a lot at a game store locally. And Chuck, who's my current co-host on Best in Faction, uh, was actually the store manager there. And we were playing D&D and Vampire the Masquerade and uh, lots of Magic the Gathering. And they all started playing 40K. And I was in love with the tiny army dudes immediately. Mm. And so I bought Dark Angels. Um, and then eventually I would buy uh, an entire metal Imperial Guard army, which is wow. for those that are for those that are OG fans. My guard army is still what I play with, and it is all Valhallans. Uh, so it's all the metal Valhallans from 30 years ago. Oh, my God. It's, Anyways, so, it's funny when you come across someone who's got an OG army, because I'm relatively new to the hobby. And you pick them up and they weigh a ton and you're like, man, these are they, they're cool because they're original. They're not great sculpts compared to the modern no. stuff, I think. But they're cool because they're original and they're metal and they're different and you don't see them that often, right? Yeah, I had to paint some for a tournament and it was really weird painting them mm. because they're so much less detailed than the current models. And also just because metal is so much different to work with than plastic. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I played a bunch of 40K with my friends for several several years, eventually leaving for college and losing track of those friends. And then about 20 years went by, and uh, I'm stepdad to three amazing boys, and they wanted to do... Uh, it's actually a, a bit of an amusing story. My wife and I decided we would build a train set diorama. And we thought... She's super artistic, and I'm very I'm a very organized planner type person. And we thought those two personality traits will go together great, and we'll build this big 8x4 table, and we'll put all this foam on it, and we'll cut all these mountains, and we'll make all these caves. And I bought all the stuff, and I bought all the tiny buildings. My wife's painting the tiny buildings. And we started doing the project, and we realized quickly that our personalities were actually not good for this joint project. <laughs> and in fact, none of the kids wanted anything to do with the train set. So that wasn't a great, great plan. So I took the kids to a game store and eighth edition 40 K wasn't out yet. So it was seventh edition 40 K and age of Sigmar. And I said to the people running the store, what's better. And he said, well, eighth edition is about to come out. And I said, well, kids, which models do you like better? And the kids and my wife liked age of Sigmar models better, which I actually think is relatively fair. Uh, the AOS models are pretty amazing. Oh, they're gorgeous. So yeah. Picked up AOS, played it with the kids played it with local friends, painted a whole bunch of armies. Uh, eighth edition comes out probably six months later. And I realized how much they like the models better in AOS, but how much I prefer lasers and robots yeah. and spaceships and how much I like all of that. As, as, as the more, I, the older I get, the more I I'm drawn to sci-fi and the less I'm drawn to fantasy actually. And so I was all excited about it and I already had models. So I started playing it. And I uh, heard on a podcast that the Mugu Legion, which is the team that is now called the Legion that I'm on, uh, for a few months was the top one in the ITC. This is 2016. So I Google them online. And what do I find? I find that it, the team is run by Chuck, oh. my friend from 20 years earlier. 
So Chuck immediately played me and said, wow, you're really good at this. You have to go to tournaments. And so I went to a major a month after that and won the major. <laughs> wow. That's so frustrating for someone like me. I can't even tell you. That's like <laughs> years and years and years and never won a thing. It's um, it's actually pretty funny because I actually beat the at the time the top player of the team. I beat him in the final round, so it was like it was like earning my spot on the team as well. It was really, it was an incredible experience. In fact, um, it was so exciting for my wife and I who helped me paint the army that uh, she actually sat and it was it's the only game of 40k she's watched me play in the hundreds of tournament games I've played. That's the only one she hung out for because she wanted to see me win my first thing. Uh, so. It was really quite neat. Uh, but yeah, so from there, I just started traveling a bunch and going to a lot of tournaments. Um, I quickly fell back to earth. Uh, I won a few <laughs> tournaments and then and then I became a normal player and I went three and two or four and two at like everything. Um, and uh, at some point, Mitch said, you know, all I want to do is talk about 40K. But when we talk about it, it's really interesting. You know, we should have a podcast. And I said, no one is going to care what we have to say at all, like right. at all. <laughs> and Mitch said, well, if everybody let that stop them from starting podcasts, there wouldn't be any. That's right. They wouldn't exist. Which I thought was really great. Yeah. And so we started Best in Faction. And it turns out me learning how to win properly and not just lucking into early. Uh, really what happened is I won with math. I math hammered people with guard. Is really what that happened at that first major. Uh, guard. It was index guard. It was hyper efficient. I played a really good gun line. I played it efficiently. I blew everyone off the table. I didn't understand that that wasn't the same difficulty as winning a tournament now is. So, right. Although having said that. I had it, to go on this journey to get better again, and that ended up being something people really connected to on the show, and that's really what made the show take off. You can't be too hard on yourself, though, because there are lots of people who take, you know, what are in theory mathematically great armies and still don't do very well with them, and I'm not, and I'm looking in the mirror when I say that. Um, we're jumping you know, ahead. I was actually just talking about that uh, with somebody about Manny playing, yeah. and who I, I think was your last guest, actually. Yeah. Uh, but Manny was playing the 18 Hive Guard thing, and someone said, he, people say he's not a good player because he plays these mathless. And I was like, no, there's a lot. There's a lot that he's doing at the table to pilot those mathless so efficiently. It's just a different way of playing. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that it's, there's no skill to it. It's just a very different set of skills from somebody who's playing a more balanced list with a lot of close combat jank. Well, you, what you, and people who criticize uh, Manny and that style of play, interestingly, at that Texas tournament, in three of his games, the Hive Guard were wiped out by turn two, and he had to <laughs> play another way to get the wins each time. So you've got to be, you know, adjustable. But I feel like we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping ahead and uh, getting okay. into some other stuff that I wanted to ask later on. So if we can go back, one of the things that in your very first episode, actually, of the podcast, you guys described yourselves as people who obsessively go to tournaments. Uh, and I wondered if that's still the case. Are you still an obsessive tournament goer or has everything slowed down a little bit? Uh, um, before COVID, I went to a GT or a major every month and an RTT every month. Wow. Um, which is easier to do here than it is there, probably. Yeah, um, probably. But you've got to travel a lot further, I would think, to get to them. So, uh, you know. Yeah, it used to be that the, that the only major tournaments we had in the state were five hours from me, but they're closer now. Uh, we have a lot more tournaments than we did in 2016 and 17. 
Uh, no, I would say I'm a very active tournament goer. Um, I've won this season. I've won several GTs. Um, I'm going to a major in two weeks. Uh, I'm having a pretty good season, but uh, I'm not traveling at all. Uh, I don't. I just don't feel comfortable with the state of COVID uh, to travel. And so that as a result, I'm not going to the things I would have gone to. I, I was going to I was going to go to the New Orleans tournament. I didn't go. I don't know if I'm going to go to LVO. So it's a very different season for me. I didn't go to SoCal, which I normally go to. I didn't go to BAO, which I normally go to. So it's been a very different season for me because I'm only playing against people locally. But I don't think my my enthusiasm for tournaments hasn't gone anywhere. I'm just being I'm just being cautious. Yeah, fair enough. What's the Washington scene like then? Uh, it's really grown a lot. There's a GT almost every month here. Um, and uh, especially the Portland guys who are, are about three hours from Seattle. The Portland guys have really come a long way. So that meta is now a bunch of really good players that come up and clash with the best of, of, of my state. Uh, it's really active. Um, I don't think it's as meta hard as a lot of the other parts of the United States. Um, I don't think that there's quite the same uh as someone who's traveled a bunch it's certainly harder to go other places but it's getting harder and harder the meta here is people are learning and people are growing and you know we've got a guy here who is 21 years old and has won his last two gts with melee orcs so he's not even using buggies he's just literally playing all 10 man squads of of dudes um and he is what he's you know undefeated in two back back to back gts so there's a lot of really skilled players here now, um, which is great because there's that's like that's the only way to get better, right? Yeah, and having yeah, exactly having lots of good players around, having people better than you, so you can learn from or uh, play against. Um, what's the best tournament that you go to, or that you have been to? Maybe those are two separate things. I don't know if there's a best tournament you go to regularly, or one that stands out as the best you've ever been to. Maybe you could answer both questions. Um, I think that team events are just better than singles events, right? Um, I think that team team 40k is the best form of 40k. Um, there's a bunch of stuff about the game that's that I don't think is ideal that's resolved by team events. It fixes a bunch of the balance issues. It fixes a bunch of the people getting tabled by armies they have no business competing with. There's a lot that's good about team events. In addition to that, though, uh, th- there's the aspect of fl- traveling somewhere with your friends and knowing that you don't have to play them. Um, which I really appreciate. So ATC is probably the most fun I've had, um, which is the American team, uh, team, uh, circuit for, uh, team championship, I think is what it's called. Uh, I also went with, um, on a, on an overly ridiculous team. I also went to the can hammer team tournament and my team was, uh, John Lennon, Nick Nonavati, Andrew Gagno, Richard Siegler and Colin. (laughs) And, what was great about that is I've won a lot of tournaments and I was by far the worst player on that team. And that was hilarious. That's a great, so, t- that is a great group of people to go away with too. Like all, all it lovely was really, people. Really fun. It was actually the last travel I did before COVID. Um, it was really, really fun. And we had an absolutely great time and uh, we just absolutely obliterated the competition, uh, which, you know, <laughs> with those guys, I think I don't think Sigler gave up a point to anybody like the whole day. Yeah, the whole week. Like, uh, so it was it was pretty wild. But team tournaments are by far my favorite. Um, locally, we have a, a major coming up here in two weeks called Mary Slaneshmas, which is also a really fantastic event. Uh, probably a hundred people with amazing terrain. Uh, 
amazing terrain, 100 people, giant convention hall with plenty of room, COVID, COVID responsible. Like, it's just going to be a lot of fun. It's funny you talk about that event, that Teams event, uh, because, I, you know, I follow a lot of these guys on Facebook. And uh, another guy I, I'm, you know, Facebook friends with and have a lot to do with is Scary, who was at that mm-hmm. tournament on a different team and he was posting and I just feel so bad for every other team there. They're all having their thing. And then you guys turn up and it's like seeing you walk towards the table. I imagine it happens in slow-mo in a V formation and, (laughs) and you guys are walking towards the table and your opponents must be just there going, well, let's enjoy the experience of playing these guys. But you know, you can't, you can't count on a win or hope for a win even probably. It's just Uh, a bunch of several of the teams we played, we're very much like, hey, we're just going to, this is going to be beer and pretzels for us. Right. Like, we're just going to hang out with you guys. And we were fine with that. Yeah. Uh, but we did play the two hardest teams there. And, bo- and both those were, were actually like real tournament experiences. But the other three rounds were teams basically saying, you know, we just want to play you guys, which is fine. Yeah. It's nice to be able to go away and say that you played against Richard Siegler or Nick Nunavati or Colin Sherman at an, you know, at a thing like that. And, you walk away having had the experience. So uh, in 2018, 2019, lots of first place finishes with Yanari and Nids and Krons. You, now I'd... Not so much Krons. I didn't do that well with Krons, but I'm okay. with you. But you have, you have a number of armies that you use, and I don't want to use the B word, bandwagon. Are you a guy that just likes to play with different armies, or do you try and, to an extent, follow the meta where it's going? I have an obsession with what's new. Right. I have a really hard time with it. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I need to be changing up what I'm doing on the regular because I am a, I've got, you know, I've got ADHD and I'm an anxious person and my brain's going really fast and it just gets bored. Yeah. And when it gets bored, I don't play well. So, um, I do jump around quite a bit, but I jump around to, and I jump around to what's competitive but I don't play, I don't just take whatever is the best thing. Like I didn't play Admech. I didn't play Orc Buggies. Uh, I'm not playing Grey Knights. Like I, I, I don't just grab anything. Uh, my, my, my system for decision is basically, can I play Craft World Eldar? That's the first thing. Because I like Craft World Eldar the best and they're our best. My wife painted that army for me. It's gorgeous. It's all kit bashed. That's my favorite thing. Um, if I can't play that, can I play Tyranids? If I can't play Tyranids, what's the best Space Marine list? Is really what what it comes down to a lot of the time. But this year I played a lot of Drakari because they're elves, yeah. and they're, it's kind of like playing Craft Old Dollar. It's not really, but <laughs> I played. I did win some tournaments with Drakari, but honestly, they were so powerful that I didn't think it was that fun. That <laughs> that's that kind of answers your question. I go to whatever I think I can win with that I'll enjoy playing. Yeah, which yeah. is which is I yeah. think a perfectly reasonable space to be in. You're not bandwagon jumping as such, but but you are a guy that when you go to a tournament, you want to do well at the tournament. No one wants to go there and lose every game, so you're going to take an army that that you like, but that also gives you the best shot of doing okay. I get yeah, that. I'm always going to take something that I think can win the event because I've won enough events that four and one, three and two feel good. It's fine, but it's not exciting. Uh, winning the event is the only thing that's uh, from like I like going and I like playing the game. That's all fun. But like from the competitive excitement point of view, I have to win the event to really be excited. And right. so I'm not going to take something that's a gatekeeper list where I know that there's a hard matchup for me out there in the local meta, especially. You know, I'm not going to take something where if the 
if the best player here, other than, you know, if the best player I've got to beat is playing melee orcs, I'm not going to bring a list that has no, no game and melee orcs. Right. Right. That's basically, that's basically the math that I do. Does the, we already talked about the Washington, uh, the scene is the meta there in terms of the armies that show up. Is it wildly different to other places down here? For example, we just, because the models are so expensive, you're not going to see any orc buggy lists because we just no one has time to buy that many before the before the thing gets nerfed. There are a few Drukhari players around, but probably mostly there are other armies. There's lots of Admech, there's lots of Death Guard, you know. So is the Washington meta different just on the army list basis? I think we match the local US tournaments pretty well. Right. Uh, I will say that while I don't think that this is something people should be doing, uh, I think 3D printing has helped a lot with this. Um, I don't think people should be 3D printing GW models. I, I will die on that hill because it's IP theft, but a lot of people are doing it. Um, and that's letting people, at least here in our state, there's a lot of people that are just always playing whatever the, you know, now they've got five Dread Knights and before that they had Orc Buggies and before that they had uh, Admac. And like, it's just, they're just printing the new thing every time there's a new thing that's good. Um, so we do have that happening, which I think is a weird direction that the game is going. Um, but then we have what everybody else has. Lots of Space Marine players, right? Uh, everybody always has lots of Space Marine players, lots of Dreadnoughts all the time. Uh, and then, you know, the people that, that die hard play one faction. Yeah. Alex McDougal's a few hours from me. He's probably the best Tyranid player on the planet, in my opinion. He certainly won the most things with Tyranids of anybody. Uh, but Alex is in my meta, so he's always going to play Tyranids, you know, like, yeah, there's that aspect as well. But we have a we have a pretty good balance. Yeah, it's funny. There there are. And this is probably, a, again, a subject for a different podcast run by a different person. But that thing of, of having one army and sticking with it, some people are just that guy. They will turn up to every single tournament with. And I didn't think I was, but I'm becoming that way <laughs> just because I switch around a lot. A little bit like you, I. I I get bored easily, and I love shiny new things. So I'll see a shiny mm-hmm. new thing, and I'll go go look at it at least and buy it sometimes, and then I'll realize I'm just not very good with this shiny new thing, and so I'll <laughs> I'll paint some and then I'll sell it off and go back to my space walls. Alex and I are a really interesting uh, kind of uh, case of this because I would say Alex and I have won similar amount of ter- the same similar size tournaments, and we've played enough that we're I would say. We're probably equivalently skilled in general at the game. He's a better Tyranid player than I am. But in general, we're probably relatively evenly matched. And my, but but we're good at different things. Right. And the different things that we're good at are directly related to how we play the game. Alex ha- understands the nuance of Tyranids on a, to, a, to a degree that I never will. But I have a much better understanding, I think, uh, of like, how everything else works because I've played so many armies in tournament. I move around too much. Um, and I've made mistakes at tournaments because I'm, my brain's not engaged enough with the army I'm playing. Cause I've been jumping around too much, which I, I hate, but, um, it's just a different, it's just a different skill set. Uh, I'm pretty good at learning the new ar- learning an army and playing it competently. I'm really good at getting the army to 80%, basically. This name has come up a couple of times. You've mentioned your wife a couple of times. And in my research, I did see that the names matched. You won an award painting, um, and the name was there. And then I saw, wait, that's also the same name as your wife. And I wondered if it was the same person. So it is the same person. Yeah. So my wife, Stephanie, is a very talented artist. Uh, in fact, she's. we've just opened a retail store for her where she's selling, she's selling candles and 
uh, soaps and things, but she's also selling her art. Wow. Um, and uh, that's been really a fun project. But when I started playing Age of Sigmar, I went to work and I came home and she had just painted the, um, uh, what are they called? Stormcast Eternal guys. Yeah. She had just painted them and they looked amazing. And I posted them online and my friends were like, what the hell? And so <laughs> she started painting. We taught her how to use an airbrush, which she does almost everything. She can do, I joke that she can do teeth on models with the airbrush. Like she does almost everything with the airbrush. Wow. Um, and uh, she's incredibly talented. And so she started painting my armies for me. Uh, my Tyranids and my and my uh, Craftworld Eldar, which was also my Inari models. Um, both of those things were painted by her. Um, and what's really fun about that is that I'd go to tournaments and I'd get best overall. Yeah. And best overall is an award that means that my wife and I won together because I'm, I'm a strategy nerd. That's, that's my main, I'm not particularly artistic. I do, I, my, I do paint, uh, 40 K I do paint armies cause my wife doesn't have time to paint all my stuff, but I'm not particularly talented at it. I'm, I'm the data nerd that, that figures out all the strategy, which is not what she's good at at all. She's very artistic. So it was a really fun thing to work together with nowadays. We don't get a lot of time to do that cause she's got her store, but, uh, it was, it was a, a wonderful amount of, of time together. We did, um, a Gene Steeler cold army together. We did a tower army together we did craft old Eldar. We did uh, Tyranids. We've yeah, we've just done a bunch of stuff where I built the models and she painted them, and we just kind of hung out in the evenings and just hobbied. It was really wonderful. That just sounds like the dream, and and so against what a lot of people post on Facebook. But it's it's so good. Um, you're a proper grown up with a proper job. Do you tell people at work that you're a forty k nerd person, uh, or, or is it an awkward conversation? It is for some people. I didn't talk about it a lot at my last work, um, but I talk, to, I talk about it where I work now. And the difference is where I work now, there's a real emphasis on people being uh, uh, kind of owning their nerdiness. Right. Um, I sell software. Um, I work for Salesforce, which is a huge company, but I work in a division that does a particularly, a particularly niche and nerdy type of software. The people we sell to are incredibly technical. The people that support me in sales are incredibly technical. So talking about Warhammer 40k with that group of people isn't weird at all. Um, <laughs> it's probably at, at the, it's probably at the low end, like at the easy in fact, end. One of my customers that I talk to all the time plays Age of Sigmar. Right. So yeah. uh, it's not nearly as strange. Um, but I don't, a lot of them don't understand it. But like, they wanted to know about Charity Hammer and about the things that I'm doing. Like they, people at my, where I work care. So I'm like trying to explain it to them. But even when I showed them pictures of the table, my boss is like, I don't understand even what I'm looking at. Yeah. It's like, okay, I, I get that. To me, it's very clear. Like there's orc buggies and then there's base brains and, but no, he didn't see it at all. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not super private about it. Uh, I'm pretty proud of what I've accomplished in Warhammer and so I, I like talking about that with 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 people that I have a close relationship with. I want them to I want them to know what I'm excited about, right? Yeah, and people who are close to you will be excited for you, even if they don't understand right. exactly what's going on. It's funny. I find that people fit into two pretty distinct groups: one who are like that, you know, they they want you to be happy and they're excited for you and they are happy to listen to you talk about it up to a point. And then there are other people who just in no way get it and in no way want any part of the conversation. And so you have to learn to identify the two disparate groups pretty quickly and stay it's, away. From it's them. also weird because 
I'm the I'm the personality type where I actively try to get everybody to do the hobbies I'm doing. Right. Like if I play a new video game that I'm excited about, I'm going to pitch it to all of my friends that might play it with me. I'm very much the gateway guy. I just started playing the Marvel game, Marvel Cinema, Marvel Crisis Protocol. Yeah. And I have several friends that are buying models now because I encourage them to. But the difference is with 40K, I've brought zero people into the hobby because I just think it's so hard. Yeah. So I don't even try. And I think because I'm not trying, that makes me much less likely to talk about it with people that don't know about it, right? Because it's it's expensive and it's complicated. And even if they come into the hobby, in order to play at the level that I enjoy the game at, they, it's a ridiculous amount of lift of lifting. Like they have to be they have to be really excited about 40k if they want to start if they want to go to tournaments with me and have the experience I have and not just have the I painted this great army and I'm here to have fun, which is fine. That's just not how I play 40k. I feel like you keep uh, inadvertently bringing up topics that could be a whole podcast by themselves. This, this is one of them because it is. I've had exactly the same experience in that I have a couple of nerd, nerdy enough friends who've shown enough interest in the idea of 40k. But for me, I look at it and go, I am a, if we embark on this journey, I'm asking you to spend a lot of time and a and lot money. of money and a yep. lot of just everything, brain energy, everything about it. All of the things, all of that is worth it for me because I love it so much. But, you know, can you ask somebody to go on that journey? I don't know if you can. Or uh, maybe you can and it's up to them. I don't know. But I, I'm very much like you. I will sell most of my things that I'm into to people. But this one is a uh, am more cautious about. And it's my main hobby. Right. Like it's the main thing that I do that's not work. Yeah. Um, I do, you know, I run a podcast and I run two charity events a year. Like I do a lot yeah. of yeah. – um, I do a lot of 40 K stuff as my wife is, um, often points out to me. Um, and so it's weird because it means that I don't have as much to talk about with my friends that don't play 40 K as I used to. But I also acknowledge that those friends I've had for 20, 30 years, I know that many of them would not enjoy it. Right. Like it, it's not, it's not for them. So, uh, as much as I love it, I'm, and as much as my podcast has helped people get more into it, uh, I myself, don't ever try to pitch it as something that someone should actually do. It well, kind of feels like, hey, we're all doing cocaine. You should do cocaine as well. <laughs> it's kind of how it feels like to me. <laughs> Great analogy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. you've mentioned the podcast. Best in Faction, 15th of May, 2018. You're on. Episode one. And then uh, what are we, three plus years later, and you're still going strong. Was that the expectation when you set it up, or you just thought, let's see how this goes and what happens? Yeah, a project that I'm doing is unlikely to make it that far. <laughs> um, I, I bounce around a lot and I get distracted by shiny things. And um, I did not think it would go that long. And I didn't think that people would listen, to be perfectly honest. Um, I know that I come across to a lot of people as being kind of <laughs> kind of cocky, but it's not really that. Um, I legitimately didn't know if I had valuable things to say. Uh, but Mitch encouraged us to just start doing it. And we did. Um, and what happened was I think we kind of came up with a new way to talk about tournaments that now is the standard. And I maybe someone else was developing at the same time. I'm not trying to take credit for it. I just know that I listened to, I listened to a lot of podcasts at that time and um, nobody else was covering tournaments the way we were. And what I mean by that is uh, Chapter Tactics called us the Show Your Work uh, podcast because we have Brandon Grant won the ITC a bunch of years ago now. 
two, yeah. three years ago, right? And we had Brandon on. And Brandon's this brilliant engineer, right? And we, instead of him just talking about what it was like to play, to win the tournament, he was talking about the, the 30 points he changed the day before the tournament, right? The, the final tweak and why that tweak mattered and how it showed up that was significant. And we, we dove into these kind of nuanced strategic things that maybe people weren't talking about or didn't know to talk about. And it really kicked us off as the as kind of the nerd competitive 40K podcast. Like, we're going to talk about the math and we are not going to let you say your dice were bad. We're just not going to let you do it. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, the strategy of it. And and I, I, I hope that that's still what the listeners get out of the show. But that was certainly how we hit our stride was the was when we found ourselves as the, you know, obsessive competitive podcast. Right. The like we're going to go to all these tournaments and we're going to overanalyze them and we're going to do the best we possibly can. If you look at shows in any format that are successful anywhere in the world, radio shows, TV shows, podcasts, whatever it might be, that have more than one person hosting, a lot of uh, the success of those shows is down to the relationship of the people on the show. And you guys have that, right? You're just naturally friends. You naturally have a way of conversing or being around each other, and you know each other's history. And I think that comes across a lot in the podcast too. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, for sure. Chuck, Chuck's probably one of my – closest friends um probably one of my probably my one of my three closest friends on the planet so that's chuck's my main practice partner so there's a lot there um mitch and i are also good friends it's not the same but mitch and i are also good friends uh we've we've gone to tournaments together for a long time we've been doing the show together for a long time we're both busy in different ways so we don't see each other outside of outside of 40k as much as i see chuck um but no we all know each other really well uh, you know, everybody was at my wedding. Uh, you know, it, it's a, uh, it is absolutely just talking to my friends about 40K. And I also am a big proponent for having guests on. So the rest of my friends in 40K kind of rotate through. Yeah. Um, so we often have four people on the show. We usually have Chuck and Mitch and I, and then somebody else, John Lennon or Nick Nanavati or Alex McDougall or whoever we want to have to, we want to talk to. And that's also helped the show a lot because, you know, we're still three guys that are in our own bubble. And so we're, we're only going to see the world the way that we see it. And it's great to bring people in from around the world that also play 40K at the level that we do or higher in the case of like John uh, to hear how their experiences are different and how their game is different and how it looks different is been a, is a big, big part of the show as well. So a lot of podcasts say they want to improve the 40K community. I hear that. I feel like you were one of the first to do it, but I hear it in intros to podcasts now. Why, to improve the 40K community. What does that mean, do you think? And how do you do it? Uh, I, first of all, you have to be above reproach. That's not the right phrase. You have to be, you have to take the high road all the time. Right. And that's awful. It's <laughs> like terrible dr drama things happen and everyone wants to talk about them and we don't right we don't talk about x you know player in the northeast who got caught cheating on a pod on a stream and is now banned we didn't talk about him we didn't use his name we just didn't talk about it um so we actively try to talk about the things that we think make the game better we're, we're actively trying to not bitch about the game all the time Right. Uh, you know, we're trying to be a, a positive force of good. Um, and that ties more to my worldview than it does to my 40K view, which is um, I think we're all here to be the best humans we can be. And I think that we all should be striving to be the best humans we can be. And so 
because of that, uh, on the show, we have a segment called Better Human, Better 40K, where we talk about an aspect of real life that people struggle with, that if you come to terms with, will make you a better human being and make you better at 40K. Um, and we've done that a bunch of people loved it. And that's actually been such a hit that um, I've been working on building a podcast that's that, that's how to be how to be a nerdy gamer, but also how to be a good human mm-hmm. and how to how to improve how to improve yourself in the community around you is kind of a project I'm I'm working on that I'll probably kick off at some point as well. All right. Well, that answers my last question, which is what's uh, coming up for you. So we we won't even need to ask that later on in the program. So that's good. But it is there's this, the idea that they go hand in hand, right? That if you're a if you're a decent human being or a nice person or you look at things a certain way then I don't know if it'll mean you win more events, but it'll make you more pleasant to play against and maybe you'll have a better time at tournaments as well. Yeah, and I was actually someone who was not fun to play at first. Um, I had never wanted anything. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've always been, everything I've done in my life, I've always been, you know, whether it's a competitive game or whatever, uh, other than Magic the Gathering, which I was quite good at tournaments for that, but everything else, I I just was you know slightly above average usually, um, but I was never the guy that won everything. And so when I went on a run with Yanari, where I won something like 26 tournament games in a row and like five tournaments, um, that was very hard for my brain to understand. Right. Um, and I became I became cocky and boisterous at the table. And when I would lose, I would get really irritated with myself, not with my opponent, with myself. Sure. And I would get and I would get heated and frustrated. And I really just had to look at myself and say, this is BS. This is not what the game's supposed to be like. This is not OK. I can't behave this way. Um, and I really had to teach myself how to be. And, I, and I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But I did a lot of work to teach myself to try to be not a D-bag at the table. Yeah. Um, and I never intended that. Like, I want to be friends. I've always wanted to be friends with everyone. But the way I was coming across was rubbing people the wrong way. And I didn't know that at first. Right. So, it, so yeah, but even that, right? We all should be very aware of our sportsmanship because that's a big part of how this game thrives. When someone goes to a tournament and they play a bunch of terrible people to play against, they're not going to go to another tournament. Yeah. Like, it, that's it speaks, a big thing. It speaks to redemption as well, though, in a lot of ways, because just because someone you play against, um, you know, does something wrong or maybe accidentally does something wrong or just tilts or just gets grumpy, maybe, as you say, the, they're new in the game or they're going through a difficult time. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. But that doesn't mean they're always going to be that way. You know, people learn from right. their experiences and they can come back and... Uh, I, you know, I had a bit of a rough time with just tilting in games for a while yeah. and kind of beating myself in the game and probably not being that pleasant to be across from. Uh, but until, you know, you kind of have to walk away and remind yourself, it's a game. It's supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, stop doing it. Yeah, I, I, I've been pretty open on the podcast that about my realization that logically, I know that whether I win or lose, everyone will like me the same amount they liked me before that game. Right. But there is a part of me that believes that if I lose, people will not like me. Like mm-hmm. there's a there's an emotional part of me that thinks that losing at 40K is a bigger deal than it is. Yeah. And coming to terms with that and just being open and aware about it is a big part of my journey. Right. Which is I don't like losing. I like winning. But that doesn't mean I should be a jerk about it. 
Right. I shouldn't be, right? And and I shouldn't go on tilt because I'm losing, especially because you know what happens if you don't go on tilt? You win some of those games. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I actually had a game a couple of days ago against a friend of mine, and I left a hole, and he was able to just jump in there and destroy a bunch of stuff, and I was like, well, that's it. I've just lost. And he was really encouraging and lovely. And about two turns later, he said to me, you see what I did there? I straightened you up. You were tilting, but I straightened you up. Because, you know, it's better for both players if everybody's okay. So uh, I want to get on to um, other things. Nick Nanavati has mentioned a bunch of times, and you've mentioned as well, that you were one of his first coaching clients. I was. Um, which is great, right? And he's a lovely man and he's a good coach. So uh, tell us how that all played out for you, you know, how you got into being coached and then how it went. Yeah. So, um, so I started playing competitively in September and in January I said, I need to get better and I don't have anyone to practice. Like I quickly got to a point where I wasn't getting a lot of value out of the practice reps I was having. Um, uh, and it was just because I, I, I was really understanding what I was doing and I didn't have a lot of nearby friends that were playing at the same level I wanted to. So I actually heard Nick on a podcast and looked him up on Facebook and saw that he had a degree. There's something in Nick's past about analytics, which is a big part of my past. So I reached out to him and was like, hey, I see this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm really curious if you're interested in coaching me. I'm happy to pay you. And I didn't know that he was starting uh, what's now Art of War. I didn't know that. Uh, and so we agreed, we kind of worked on a, on how it would work. And we had a weekly phone call and I would message with him and he taught me how to play double Kraken, double, double Kraken gene stealers, um, which was a very hot list at the time. And then inevitably he'll, he would teach me how to play double Spirionari. Uh, but we paid him, we hired him to come out for a weekend and he coached my two of my friends and I for a whole weekend at my house. And, um, I, I, I learn well from other people. Uh, it's a big part of how my brain works is I have to talk out loud and I have to walk it through and I have to hear it and I have to, I have to, it has to be verbal for me. So having a coach is wonderful because I can literally just ramble about the things that I'm, are going through my head and, and get that out, which is helpful for me and then hear their feedback, which is helpful. So I had a really good time working with Nick. Uh, I still am kind of coached, but now it's more about more John Lennon just because we're closer friends right. and I talk to him a lot more often. Uh, but I still, I still ask for help. And part of that too is, um, at some point you need to learn things that your friends can't teach you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm a bit hard. like you though. I've, I've not that this is about me. This is a podcast about you, but I, I understand what you're saying, and I think a lot of people will relate to that. I, I need to learn by doing. Uh, I find it very challenging and difficult to read information on a page and make that make sense until I actually can play it out physically. So I don't have that Brandon Grant analytical brain. I can't just stand, look at a bunch of numbers and, and go, okay, that'll work like this. I actually need to do it a few times to physically roll the dice on the table and go, okay, I'm getting a feeling for this now. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And, and for me, it's more actually more about the conversation I have after that game. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually why my success was tied to the podcast, because talking about my games on the podcast is a big part of how I got better at 40K. Right. And, yeah. and probably also helped a lot of other people, because it is one of those things where there are a limited number of experiences. A lot of people will have gone through what you've gone through in a game. 
uh, and then you know, so you're talking through it. We'll we'll help other folks. Let, yeah. Let's um, let's discuss Charity Hammer because this is again, this is something that's come up a couple of times. Tell us what Charity Hammer is for those who haven't heard of it. Charity Hammer is the ultimate 40k slumber party. <laughs> um, what happens is every summer now, we used to do it in the winter, but it's every summer now. Uh, I invite out um, 30, 40 people from around the country. Actually, around the world is the idea, but COVID made it just around the country. Um, that are two things. Are amazing at 40K. Very competent, skilled players. That I What I say is these are people that could win, that, that are, are a name that people would presume would win any GT they go to. That's what these people are. Right. They're people that where you look at the name and you think, oh, that's one of the people that will be in the top eight at the end. But the other thing is the good human thing. It's it's a good ambassador for 40K. So I invite people that meet both of those things. And we run for four day, almost four days. We run uh, three streams nonstop, all through the night, all through the morning, into the evening. Um, and we just put as much competitive 40K on camera as we can because when we started doing Charity Hammer three years ago, Nobody was doing streaming of high-end competitive games. Like Nick started doing it, and I was out there in New Jersey for a business trip, and I played with them, and we talked through our game. And the people were just like, this is amazing. I can't believe you guys are talking through it at this level. And we realized no one was doing that. And so Charity Hammer was the original prototype of what is streaming 40K like for us. Because tournaments weren't doing it a lot, and uh, tournaments are have gone a different route. I'm not saying I started any of that. Just the original prototype of Art of War and us streaming 40K was Charity Hammer. Right. Um, so I, everybody comes out, and we raise money for Child's Play, which is a charity that does toys and games and video games and things for children's hospitals in Australia, New Zealand, uh, U.S., Canada, and parts of Europe. Right. Uh, and that, that's a charity that's very close to my heart. I've got a kid who's spent a bunch of time when he was younger in the hospital. Um, it's very hard for parents when your kids, when your kid's sick and you have to go to the hospital a lot. So there's just a lot of good that child's play does. Um, and over, uh, three charity hammers, we've raised 40,000. We've raised, sorry, we raised $40,000 just this last time we've raised, uh, $70,000, something like that. Uh, over the over the last three years uh, for Child's Play. That's an enormous um, amount of money. It is. It's an enormous amount of money. In fact, the the $40,000 we made this year literally flummoxed me. I was so, it was so much above what I thought the community would, would band together to do that it was, it was just, it rocked my world. I didn't even know what to say about it at first. Yeah. Uh, just wonderful. Um, and then we started doing a off- uh, the other part of the year in the winter, we do a local event called Hammer Out Cancer, which is going to be uh, January 7th and 8th, I think. 7th, 8th and 9th. That's what it is. Um, that's all local players. Um, and that's a little bit more. That's not the same thing. It's still the same vibe. It's just all the local players that know each other super well rather than all the people that fly in. Right. And that one is for cancer research. And we, we raised about $12,000 the first year we did that event last year. Those are the two charity events that I run. And um, I would gamble. You said that people probably best know me for Best Infection. But I would actually say 
that I'm probably better known for Charity Hammer at this point. It's probably the bigger, the bigger thing that I do. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, the I, the last Charity Hammer was just so fantastic. The coverage of it was great. And I was watching, uh, I remember watching Jaime Paris play Nick Nanavati, the Wolves versus the Drukari. That was such a great game to watch. Oh, man, that game. Yeah, that yeah. game was crazy. Especially as a Space Wolf player, it was a great game to watch. Um, <laughs> so, no, I'm a big fan of Jaime as well. He just uh, is a lovely man. So uh, you've got the podcast, you've got Charity Hammer, you go to tournaments. How do you fit in the rest of your life <laughs> and all of that stuff? Uh, well, I have a very understanding wife and kids. <laughs> yeah. A part of it for us is Stephanie and I making an acknowledgement relatively early. So I was the, I was the, you made a joke about dating stories. I used to do a blog, which I'm sure you found with a bunch of my dating stories. And I was very bad at dating, but I was the perpetual bachelor. So I was always single um, or, or in a relationship for six months and then single again. So when I met Stephanie and I moved into with her and the kids, we kind of made an acknowledgement that I wasn't going to be able to go from zero to hero overnight. Right. right? Um, and so the idea initially was I'm going to literally leave one weekend a month to play 40 K. And while I go do that, I'm not going to think about the kids. I'm not going to think about work. I'm not going to worry about Stephanie. I'm not going to worry about the dogs. I'm just going to go and have that weekend to reset. I'm the only extrovert in my house. Okay. So, I need that social interaction much more than my wife does. And so we kind of just decided that that would be okay. And I try to do everything I can to make sure she has the same freedom, right? Uh, if she wants to go do something, fine, I'll watch the kids. I'll do whatever. I, th I just think that relationships have to be a partnership and you have to talk through what both of your needs are. And you both need to cover responsibilities for the other person so the other person can be a kid. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing because I think we're all children, all of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, Marvel crisis protocol involves throwing vehicles at people <laughs> and I bought, and I bought trucks. I bought like toy trucks that are the right scale for the game yeah. and they arrived and there's literally a 12 year old in me that's like, Oh my God, look at that garbage truck. Like, like we're, we're just, especially in the Warhammer community, there's so many of us that have such a childhood enthusiasm, a childlike enthusiasm for the hobby yeah but i think everybody has that childlike enthusiasm for the thing that they're that they're passionate about and i think that you have to indulge it i think that play is important i i don't want to i don't want to ever stop playing games and socializing with people and just become working colin working colin's all right but he's not nearly as fun <laughs> yeah it is it's funny i feel like the 40 uh, the people in the 40k community maybe are more in tune with that inner child and that just want to play games and we all acknowledge we all acknowledge that we're playing with as i was saying the other day to somebody playing with barbie dolls that have guns and yeah you know it's just which is which i'm comfortable with i'm fine people would give me a hard time but it's okay that's fine it's better to I do that played, isn't it it's better to do that than not i have played at the top table of a major trying to win the event and i still made engine noises when i was moving my planes around <laughs> It's that's a big part of the appeal for a lot of us is the the imagery of it, the visual. You know, uh, playing mm -hmm. a game where a, a smash captain brings down a knight, the last couple of blows bring the knight to its knees, and you can talk it out and imagine that scene playing out on this glorious battlefield. Um, for for charity hammer, was it a challenge? People getting into it, or were people in straight away? So what I did the first year is I paid for Nick to come. I said. Nick, I'm going to fly you out here. All you have to do is make the weekend free. You can stay with me and we'll feed you. 
So that makes it so that there's nothing in the way of Nick doing it, right? Right. And so Nick, who was nice at the game table at the time, became the first official sponsor of Charity Hammer. And then what I was able to do is go to people and say, this is the idea for what I want to do. And I already have Nick involved. Right. And so that and I think that was a big I think that was a big catalyst, which is why Nick isn't at all involved in planning Charity Hammer. But I always am going to make sure he's there and I'm always going to give him a shout out because I think Nick's encouragement of kind of the, some of the more marquee players to come was a big deal. And the next year when we wanted to grow a lot, Art of War had gotten to be a big thing. And so just having Art of War come greatly increased. Mark Perry, Richard Siegler, John Lennon, Nick Nanavati all come. Now I've got four top level players, right? And so um, that plus, weirdly, a lot of the top players in the game are in my Patreon group for my podcast. And so I have friendships with a lot of these players as well. And that makes that makes it a lot easier to get those people uh, to come out because they hear me talking about charity hammer all the time. Right. Uh, now though, everybody wants to come. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no difficulty getting people enthusiastic. In fact, there were several people that were having babies around the time of charity hammer and weren't able to come. And they were like noticeably distraught that I invited them and they couldn't take me up on yeah, it. Yeah. I feel like um, there are a couple of things around charity hammer that, that I, you know, may or may not be true, but they certainly seem to be things. One is that people don't get a lot of sleep, and the other one is there are lots of funny stories. Funny things happen, partly yes. because of the lack of sleep or the distance travelled. I think I talked to uh, the Falcon, just just stories about people getting there or not. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he got he got he got stuck trying to get to us. He forgot his passport, which is <laughs> hilarious because, well, for those of you that know Val, it's hilarious. Yeah, um, they've both got a passport story now. I know. We yeah, did a they whole both have a passport story. Um, I think that there's just an aspect of, you know, these 40 nerds are going to come to my house and they're going to play 40K nonstop for like four days. I think there's just an element of that that, that is going to make shenanigans happen. Um, and they do. And they absolutely do. Uh, the best story from this year is there is a hall closet in my house uh, that has wooden shelves that sit in it. And one of them is gone. <laughs> and it was here before Charity Hammer. And it's gone now. So someone stole a shelf from me. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's like five months later. Yeah. It's like four months later or whatever. I have no idea who stole it. Really? I don't know where it is. I've checked the property. I've looked to see if someone is using it as an army tray, which makes perfect sense. It's weird to take somebody's uh, closet apart to make an army tray for yourself, but gamers are weird. So yeah, I figured that that was the best, the best, uh, uh, the best uh, hypothesis. Um, but no, I don't know where it is. And I, but the fact that I don't know where it is is great. Like, it yes, it's annoying that that shelf is gone, and I'm gonna have to replace it at some point. But my wife and I are so amused that it's gone that the story is worth it. Like the story is worth any inconvenience. Because it's so weird that someone took a shelf. <laughs> it might just and it might just magically reappear at the next charity hammer. Well, there was a lot of talk from my patrons that people were going to bring me shelves at LVO, <laughs> and I would just be, I'd be playing 40k, and there would just be a pile of shelves yeah. that would appear next to me, and I tried to explain how wildly impractical that is because <laughs> I can't, I can't then get those things home. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I don't need shelves. I need the specific shelf that goes in the closet. <laughs> it's not just any shelf. Yeah, it's not, not any shelf will do. It's, <laughs> it's not like, you know, I need. A, I might need a metric shelf. I don't even know. Like, is it imperial shelf? Is it a metric shelf? I don't know. Right. Listen, I've, I'm having a lot of fun talking to you, and we could go all day, but we've already gone an hour, and I think that's probably enough for people. But um, good luck with everything, all the projects and um, – and the tournaments and thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us it's been great to get to know you thanks so much it was great being here thanks so much again to Colin Sherman I want to say for you we recorded that conversation near the end of last year and a lot has happened for Colin in that time in the podcast he was telling me all about how it was coming up but it's all done now Uh, links to the best in faction podcast are in the show notes as well as information about Charity Hammer I hope you enjoyed the episode and I really appreciate any feedback you have as well via the Facebook page or Instagram or at 40kgamechangers.com. Until next time, I'm Steve Joel. Bye for now.